Hello, everyone. Welcome to our third and final episode on real-world OBM consulting with Alula. We bring back our guests from Alula for their perspectives and insight on how to develop the skills to get into OBM. Would you all like to introduce yourselves one last time for us? Sure. This is Kelly Therian. This is Brandon Martinez-Onstadt. This is Sinead Jameson. And I'm Vince Bellow. Thank you. So first, I would like to start with what experiences prepared you to work in consulting, I guess, particularly at Alula? I, in thinking about this question, went back pretty far to like even just how I first learned about organizational behavior management. So I might start there and then we can kind of go, you kind of see how that sort of evolved. But um, so just to go back to even how I got sort of introduced. So in undergrad at Florida State University, I was in psychology and sort of undetermined of what exactly I wanted to do and did a careers in psychology class. And at Florida State, uh, John Bailey came in and talked about performance management. And there was a whole performance management track at Florida State University, which is a four course sequence um, but you get to do all sorts of really neat things. Like you learn bits and pieces of how to run a performance management project and you go out into the local Tallahassee community and make connections with different managers and different businesses and then really implement a project. Um, and then at the end of that uh, four course sequence, at the end towards your senior year, you then present at a conference, either a poster or um, a, an actual like presentation during this, this local conference. But it was just such a cool opportunity to learn and see very quickly what we can do and, and that application within an organization. And then that being forced as part of the project to go out and make connections in the local community and beg for an opportunity to do something within an organization was just such a cool sort of way to really learn and see it in practice very quickly. And that was certainly a hook for me of wanting to go into this organizational behavior management path. And I really learned about that sort of approach and that opportunity for applying psychology and business, but in a very practical way by looking at human behavior in the workplace. Before I ever learned about behavior analysis or OBM, really, I didn't know that's what it was until I was finishing out my bachelor's degree and starting to think about what was next in terms of graduate education and what would be required to really do that on a full-time basis. Um, so that's really some of the early things that led me on the path to want to get into OBM consulting and make the then choices after that that got me on that pathway. So I'll go next. This is Brandon. Um, so as you heard from Kelly, she has her own very unique experience. And I'm sure as you hear from each of us, we're all going to have a very unique experience in how we got to Alula and how we um, got into OBM consulting. First of all, for myself, um, I didn't. I learned about OBM at an OBM Network conference. I think my sophomore or junior year of my undergrad, and that's when I decided I wanted to go into OBM. So I already had that planned out before entering grad school. That said, once I was within the graduate program at Florida Tech, I was really fortunate to have great mentors with a wealth of knowledge within the science of behavior analysis as well as OBM. So that included Dr. David Wilder, Dr. Byron Wine, Dr. Siggy Sigurdsson and Dr. Josh Pritchard, as well as Dr. Allison Betts. Just, just had a wealth of good experience OBM Net mentors who did both research and applied work. So just really fortunate there. Um, 
And over the years, it just, it really helped like set my trajectory right where I was kind of focusing on the right things. As I said back in the, my first podcast, I never, you never arrive at becoming an OBMer. It's like a continual evolution, a continual journey. And so even within Alula, I've had a series of great mentors. Um, within projects, we have a role called client manager. Essentially, it's the point person on a project. They're kind of guiding that what we said we would deliver gets delivered and kind of managing the strategic relationships and making sure that we're engaging those few key behaviors ourselves. And so there, there's been Danielle, Brian, Christina, Debbie, Ann, Vince, to name a few of just really excellent mentors within projects who I learned how to do's from and some don'ts from as well. So they've all been helpful. Um, in terms of my overall career engagements, I going to Florida Tech, I found that I created a lot of opportunities for myself where I could. So I wasn't waiting for a preset practicum experience. I chased a lot of leads. So for instance, I participated in Florida Tech Student Business Incubator, which was like an entrepreneurship startup environment. So I can learn business acumen skills there. Um, I also started working with in a tech startup with clients and kind of just took it upon myself to do that as part of my practicum experience. Um, as I transitioned to Kalamazoo and I spent a few years up there, I also worked with clients and I chased leads. So if someone said, hey, I need help developing a business plan, I raised my hand and I, I chased it. Um, I worked with the local food co-op. I worked with a few universities. I worked at the law school. I just, I continue to just chase opportunities as they cross my path. And I specifically try to go after things that weren't in a clinical setting. Um, I also did some OBM work in a clinical setting, but I really tried to have a well-rounded OBM background to prepare me for consulting. And so before I joined Alula, I had a lot of OBM experience that I already brought with me. And then when I learned the Alula way of OBM, um, there was a lot of just additional benefits and insights I gained from that. Brandon, you also have a unique perspective because you weren't necessarily psychology, right? Like you were you were in a different program. So you also had sort of that vantage point of, of just learning different things even before settling in on an OBM or pursuing more of that path. Can you speak some more yeah. to that? Yeah, definitely. Yeah. So my undergraduate was in construction management, which was half civil engineering, half business, which was an interesting blend of like project management classes and finance courses. I have, I think, 15 credits of finance under my belt before my master's program. Um, and then with the engineering work, it, it makes it really easy to talk to fellow engineers because I get the whole like you like things black and white. Um, but what they don't have is they tend to have like trial and error for figuring out what management practices work. Or when it comes to an engineering equation, they just apply a fa an efficiency factor based on the level of, ex of experience of an individual. And so understanding the gaps within those specific areas of practice also brings additional insight because I saw the gaps. And then when I jumped to OBM, it, like, it just it made so much sense like where we were struggling in these other disciplines. And then when I'm working with clients, I can bring that unique perspective as well. So yeah, no, I'm not your traditional um, psych student going into behavior analysis. So Shanae Thanks, here, guys. I can jump in and just share. I know in previous podcasts, I've shared a bit about just my own academic journey and, and career journey. And so 
when I initially heard this question, my head kind of jumped to other non-academic experiences that really helped to prepare me for consulting. And I'll just start off by saying, I think any experience involving working with people can help prepare you for consulting because that's what you do most of the time in consulting. Uh, but there were a few key experiences that I felt especially helped me, um, even like I said, beyond the academic preparation. So a couple things that came to mind were first uh, competitive speech and debate. A lot of times you have to kind of think on your feet, be able to um, deliver effectively and be able to, to speak and even facilitate and just kind of think off the top of your head and, and also critically think too about, you know, in question, you know, are you actually, um, uh, is the solution that you've come up with, is that actually the ideal solution? Is it gonna kind of check all those boxes for what the client's looking for? So um, that that was one area that that I thought was uh, fairly beneficial. And then I would say involvement um, in collegiate student organizations. So even things like student government, uh, getting plugged into ABA and OBM groups early on to be able to just kind of connect with others and um, gain different experiences through through those groups um, that, that really help kind of get, give you some of the additional skills that will help you be successful in consulting. And then certainly I know in previous podcasts, we've talked a bit about the clinical work too, right? And how many of those skills transfer in some way to consulting. And so a, a few that kind of came to mind when I was thinking about this question that I, I felt helped prepare me for the nuances and complexities of consulting were, you know, even things like really trying to understand the true problem we're trying to solve um, and then working with teams and even an inter interdisciplinary team. Uh, and key stakeholders, including the clients themselves, to really ensure that there's alignment with the treatment approach, that it's going to be effective, that it's going to um, actually make a, a socially significant difference, um, and then being able to just assess that progress against those critical outcomes. And so certainly, um, you know, even when you get into the day-to-day -day with clinical work in particular, being able to kind of balance those client commitments, getting at that time management piece that I think been shared in one of our previous episodes and uh, and then doing things like caregiver training, all of those kind of help shape some of the skills that I, I think blend well when you transition into consulting. And then from an academic perspective, uh, definitely from what Brandon and Kelly shared, I, I wholeheartedly found those similar types of experiences beneficial and um, even just being able to, to connect with Florida Tech faculty in particular when I was in my grad program and learn from their experiences and be able to study under them. Um, for me, it was uh, Dr. Josh Pritchard, Dr. David Wilder, um, Dr. Allison Betts, and Dr. Ed Blakely, to name a few that were just instrumental in helping me understand beyond the, the clinical application what, uh, what the OBM world looked like and beyond. So I don't know if I have anything new to add, probably just to piggyback on some of the other things that were discussed. I think all Kelly... Brandon, Shanae, and I are all going to kind of talking about like those extracurricular activities, right? Almost those out of the classroom opportunities that make some of these theories or skill sets or concepts a little bit more real. And I know for me, without a doubt, one of the biggest experiences that prepared me for consulting that I don't think I knew was preparing me for consulting was um, trying to create like presentations or even like a PowerPoint that kind of clearly explains something. And I can provide a, an example because that's really vague. But when I was an undergrad, I worked in a, in a research lab with rats and pigeons and it was great. But 
every week we had um, we had a lab meeting where we were assigned a research article, and every week someone was the the leader and they prepared a PowerPoint where it discussed the articles and then it opened up for an open it, it broke out into an open discussion, um, and I was. I think like the first time I had to do this, I was like a sophomore or something. And I didn't understand a word that was said in any of these research articles. They were, a lot of them were really old and this really dense, like experimental analysis of behavior research. But like over time, I kind of had to learn that you need to make things that are really, really complex, a little bit more simple to understand. And the people who built the best presentations were those who took something really complex, they were able to explain it in really simple words. And that was something where I was really bad at it, but over time, just because I had amazing people around me, I, I got better at it. Um, and how is that related to consulting? It's, I think that's one of the biggest areas of value that we kind of can provide to clients, right? Is making some of these things that may not, that may be, complex or difficult to understand, making them a bit more clear and then using, you know, their talents and expertises then to kind of move things along. So in a nutshell, like kind of putting yourself in a situation where you're not an expert yet, but like learning how to take complex things and make them as simple as you can was an experience I got from uh, just doing some research stuff with uh, with a great lab at West Virginia. And then I, I would say I got similar opportunities at Florida Tech too. Really great answers. Yeah, that was all really interesting. You all had an emphasis on education, but it sounds like you all, in addition to education, you found and you took opportunities where they were whenever you saw them and you used them to shape your own behaviors to, and to, to, to shape your own behaviors, I guess, in a, in a variety of ways. And I also liked the emphasis on the people that you interacted with and the people that you learned from. I, like, I've learned so much by interacting with all of you people. So I felt like that was, that's just a great way to learn something. In addition to your education, did you get any additional trainings or certifications or anything like that? Um, well, certainly the formal education, that undergraduate track, and then uh, with my master's, and I did uh, stop there in terms of uh, formal education, but there was a ton of on-the-job learning, so I did have the opportunity during my master's program to do an internship with Aubrey Daniels International, and it was just another like we just talked about all the people interactions of just working with some of the consultants that they had there, but it also provided the opportunity to work with uh, some of their clients um, on a very specific discrete uh, project opportunity over a summer, but it was just really a, a cool opportunity. So lots of that being paired with people, observing others in action, asking a lot of questions along the way, just kind of learning on the go. Um, Alula has also over my career provided different types of opportunities like uh, at different times, sales training, for example, where we'd bring in experts and sort of learn that all together and then have some accountability together to put those things into use. Um, and other just ongoing internal training about different tools or materials or um, solutions that we're bringing out to the market that we would sort of do over time, specific processes or models that might shift over time. 
We also have done things like facilitation training. So just to learn how to facilitate a meeting or um, whether it's internal or even with our, our clients. So just lots of those sort of specific things um, along the way. But that's, that's all I've had in terms of additional training beyond that education. Well, Kelly, I know you said that's all you have, but that's a lot. Um, that's a lot of training and experience that you've gotten over time. Um, I guess for me, what I've always tried to do is find a mentor both within and outside of Alula, just holistically to improve how I perform, someone who can give me honest feedback um, on where my strengths and opportunities lie. Um, I also like, I don't read every um, research article like I should, but I do try to like read books in the field and some articles. For instance, right now I'm working through nonlinear contingency analysis, which was a book recommended to me by Victoria. I'm almost done with that. So, and that's been a really good read. I can see some practical applications um, in the work I do from that book. Um, I also try to read, um, so for me, a lot of my learning is through reading, but uh, I read books in business and philosophy. And so in, in complementary areas, like learning about the Agile Manifesto and some of the assumptions and principles that um, are a foundation for uh, like the lean Six Sigma, the agile approach to work. And that, that way, when I'm working with those customers, I understand some of the assumptions they're using for their operating models. Um, I guess in general through life, the more I've learned, the more I realize I don't know much and there's a lot more to learn. So I feel like that's my key takeaway through all the learning. But yeah, even within Alula, they, they will support whether it's a new digital technology um, or just an area like executive presidents or coaching, like um, Alula will put resources behind equipping us to serve our customers' needs. Wow, so many great responses already. Uh, so I'll, I'll just dive in at a couple of extra ones. Um, so in addition to, you know, just the, the internal upskilling and trainings that Kelly mentioned, and then just the importance of mentorship uh, to really, you know, broaden your perspective, shape your thinking, and continue to grow professionally and even personally, uh, and reading books too along the way and articles. Um, I would add, I think uh, continuing education courses. Um, so specifically for renewal of um, my BCBA certification, but also um, I've started taking just some other uh, courses in across a variety of different topics to, to try to broaden my, my knowledge there. Um, and then even, I know we've talked about the upcoming OBM Network Conference, uh, which I, I'm happy to attend as well. And I think conferences are another source of information. Early on for me, this was not only a way to learn more about the field, but also a way to connect with other pr professionals too and other resources. So um, yeah, those are maybe a couple other things I would add there. Well, okay. This question may be geared more towards Vince, but are there any skills that, since he's a more recent graduate and empathize with being a student a little bit more closely, uh, are there any skills that you didn't get as much in a formal academic setting or that you may not typically get in a formal academic setting that you did have to learn on the job? I, I would preface this, preface this by saying, um, I learned all of these, I would say I had all the opportunities to develop and learn these skills while I was at Florida Tech. Like just the amount of opportunities both in the classroom and out of it helped set me up like with the foundations for these skills. But the one 
that comes to mind is, uh, I don't want to beat the dead horse, but like I'll, I'll, I'll bring scheduling back up. It is um, like, you're not going to take a class on scheduling um, or like it might not be a unit, but it's one of those things where I know when I started the job, it became all of a sudden, oh, I, I have to reach out to people or can reach out to people to put time on their schedules. And then that means I have to know how to like be an expert with my Outlook calendar. So I, I literally remember in some of my first weeks at Alula, writing down the things I wanted to be good at. And I'm like, I want to be a master of scheduling. And that was a legitimate, legitimately one of my first goals. And I came into it with an understanding of, okay, Outlook is where my professors, um, where Outlook is something I can use to like block off time when I know I have class. And then I can put a reminder when this paper is due. And then I can put a reminder when the intro of my thesis is supposed to be due, right? And I used it that way, but you have to realize all of those deadlines or all of that time is usually done for you in the graduate school context, right? I always know I have EAB at you know seven o'clock on Mondays or something like that. So it's kind of done for you. Whereas with this line of work, it's almost always in flux and a lot of it is on you to find the time yourself. And so scheduling definitely one of those skills that it's hard to provide the contingencies around when you're in graduate school, just because of the way classes and assignments and all that are, are, are scheduled out. Um, that's really the big one that comes to mind. I don't know, team, anything else kind of jump out? I have one as well, just kind of thinking about um, back to those days. And thank you, Victoria, for pointing out that some of us have been out a little bit longer. But um, <laughs> it was a few years ago. But I will never forget um, just some of the, the things that are sort of rewarded in an academic setting that were not so well received in my first full-time gig at a consulting firm. And, you know, I was a a particularly high performing student in my master's program and super good in behavior analysis, had all my terminology down and all of those things that we're sort of hold ourselves to that standard in academia. And then that first year in, in uh, my career, I remember they uh, we had an assessment that we would do for our consultants that was mirrored with something we did with internal consultants that we developed on the client side. And it was, it was technical. It was like asking about different concepts in behavioral science. And I went through this thing and marked it up as I had learned to do in grad school when a question is, is wrong that I can't answer. And I did this whole thing and I was so proud of my work because I knew that I was right. And I handed it over <laughs> to my, my boss at the time. And he just looked at it and said, you've got to be kidding. Like, this is not going to work here. And it was just such a, it was a hard reality of like, okay, that thing, that terminology, that strictness about the science, while it was heavily necessary in, in the grad program and in that audience, in this now consulting audience, it was not so well received. So just having to unlearn some of those things and how do we, instead of being that expert and, you know, using all that technical jargon, how do we now translate that into layman terms and how do we get that message across to clients and organizations and just others that we're working with who've been doing consulting and they 
you know, understand the concepts and principles, but may not use it technically accurately and are probably not going to appreciate you editing um, as they go. So that was one really big one that I think just on the job learning, but, you know, being that flexible. So in grad school, I wish I would have had more time of, of doing some of that, doing the translations or thinking about how we might describe that. Um, whenever I talk to students, I talk to them about, yep, talk about your, your dissertation, talk about your thesis and the technical terms, but then also how would you relay that to your mom or your grandma? Like, what do we do and why? Um, so certainly something I would encourage people to, to work on as well. Well, I'm somewhere in between Kelly and Vince in terms of years in the field now. So, <laughs> so um, one of the things that um, I had to learn post grad school was working from home. Like that wasn't a thing. And if you could hear birds or anything in the background in my audio today, it's because I'm I'm working outside from home, which probably wasn't the best choice. I, like like life's choice I made, considering that I was doing this recording today, but. There's construction in the home, so it would have been louder. So I don't know. Um, so, so point being, working from home was not something that um, we learned in grad school. Yes, we worked remotely, but we also were able to instantly form peer groups and study groups and stuff. And that kind of leads to self-management. Um, as a consultant, specifically with Alula, um, there's a lot of time I I'm on my own, where it's I'm working from home, I have... 80 some clients I'm coaching and I need to schedule them. So it's managing my schedule to Vince's point. It's managing my own personal expectations, managing the environment, um, just preparing and showing up well to the clients. They also work from home sometimes too. So there's some grace there when birds start chirping in the background or a, an annoying lawnmower goes off. But it's just one of those realities that comes with consulting. Um, some other skills that I wish I would learn more about uh, so in grad school, like we learn about shaping and pairing, uh, but we don't really, at least for me and my personal experience, there wasn't a lot of time spent on influencing skills. And what does that look like with um, adults in a workplace? Uh, so for instance, what is the common language used with the client and how can you um, use their own language to help shape future behavior for them? So using terms and concepts that resonate for them and building those relations. For instance, my first semester of grad school, every time someone said reinforcement, I was thinking I-beams and columns and foundations because I took a course on structural analysis. So reinforcers are something we use in buildings and in structures to keep them standing. So I had to unlearn, I had to uh, learn, I guess, a second relation with the same concept. So now that I think reinforcer, I think two things at once, I think the behavioral definition, I also think the engineering definition. Um, and then kind of to Kelly's point around the academic rigor, a lot of times the client just wants to know things are getting done and they're getting done right, safely and ethically. So a lot of the, my learning at the client site was just learning to rely on accomplishments and measurements of accomplishments and like data is great, but being really strategic when we choose the measure and what we measure and how we measure, um, it just became, it, be, it became more of like a, a value exercise in terms of ROI. Yeah, Brandon, I would, I, that reminded me of um, something that kind of Kelly was touching on this too, is finding the balance between 
uh, like quality and, and timeliness. I guess that's the easiest way to describe what I'm trying to say. But to Bimo's point, there are things um, like the client expectations, um, they can vary, right? And I remember in grad school, you know, what do, what do you get reinforced for if you're writing a paper or you're doing your reading or you're doing a project? Well, a lot of times you get reinforced for spending a lot of time and making sure that the quality is really, really good, right? Because timeliness isn't necessarily um, the biggest barrier just because a lot of times you have line of sight to when the due date is. So you can kind of get things done a couple of days or maybe in a week in advance. But when you remove the, all of that time that you can really prepare, like think about a test. My strategy for pre preparing for tests was like three days before I was doing this many hours and then two days before this many hours all the way up to the test day because I had the time. So I was just like, if I get really prepared and be ready for this test. And I remember when I actually started to get a bit more work here at Alula, that isn't possible because you don't always have the time, right? Because you may get a, a request to, to do something that might be the next day by noon, or maybe it's at the end of the week. And so all of a sudden, my whole strategy for success of like taking all of the time that I can to make sure the quality is really good. Now, all of a sudden, you need to balance that with the time that you have. And knowing that, could you have crafted like a more perfect um, deliverable? Maybe, but you need to balance that with like, other work and how much time you have to do it. So that was a huge skill that I'm still learning how to do. Like when is, when, when is something ready to send? And my, uh, my suggestion on that is user team members. Like one of my earliest experiences working with Brandon was just, I don't know what, I don't have a perfect idea of what's client ready. Like wh how qual what's the quality standard needed here? Well, ask Brandon because he has experience doing this type of stuff. So that's kind of how I curtailed that experience was relying on other people who know the expectations. And yeah, that's a hard thing to learn though. It's one of the things you can't really read about it. You just kind of have to experience it, or at least that's the way it was for me. Vince, I completely agree. That was one of the, the things that I had to kind of relearn and uh, just learn when to when a deliverable needs to be a hundred percent, you know, complete to that, that gold quality standard versus when, you know, we talk about 80, 20, is that sufficient? Um, and just really understanding like what the client's asking, what, what good looks like in that space. And then also what the return is too for them. So yeah, a valuable skill. You know, I was thinking even there's so many skills that go into a consulting skill set, right. And, and support it. And so even asking the right questions at the right time is its own skill in and of itself. And I was thinking about how, you know, depending on the academic program that you're in, if you're working in a lab, if you're teaching the practicum experience that you have, um, you know, some of these things, you, some of the experiences that we've shared today, you know, you may already have had a bit of exposure to um, even things like we talked a little bit earlier about, um, uh, self-management and building those relationships and teaming. And um, I think we've touched on leadership as well. And I've heard some elements of like project management too. 
for me, I think a couple of things that I almost had to um, kind of just build additional fluency with when when joining uh, the consulting ranks, if you will, uh, were you know even things like flexibility and adaptability. Um, so we talked a little bit about this before, but knowing that at a moment's notice you're kind of put it, flipping your world upside down, reprioritizing things, and just kind of figuring out what what's needed in the moment. And um, so, so I think that was the key skill. The, the other thing I think that, you know, we've, I don't know if we've talked about it yet, but um, I would say it relates more to business acumen. So there's certainly courses and things like that that you can uh, take while you're in school, but I think also understanding, especially when you're working across different industries and with different clients, understanding what their metrics are and how their business operates. And, and it, obviously we're, you know, bringing that behavioral expertise to it, but there is a certain degree of business acumen that is beneficial when you're having those conversations. And um, so, so I think that's that's also a key component. And then, uh, and then, last but not least, the only thing, the other thing I would offer would be uh, around meeting facilitation and meeting effectiveness, because those are huge components. And depending on whether you're working with an internal team or if you're working directly with a client and um, co-facilitating or fully facilitating those meetings that can look very different depending on your audience. And so being able to understand and implement, you know, those types of principles, uh, I think has been particularly beneficial. That was a great summary, Shanae. I was just going to add for anyone listening and taking tons of notes. Uh, if you're going to try to implement any of this advice or suggestions or input or whatever you want to call it, um, you might want to try one or two things at a time. There's a long list and we've all had years and years of slowly working on each of these skill areas. So it's not like you have to master it all overnight. I love that. Thank you, Brandon. I, I love the behavioral component there so we can practice these skills. Shanae, you, you summarized it all really beautifully. I don't think I need to say anything there. Yeah. So y'all talked a lot about the the transition from the academic setting to consulting, if uh, what key steps would someone who is transitioning from a clinical environment need to take to get into consulting? Yeah, so in terms of making sort of that transition, you know, the conversation I have very often with people that are in that space of they've done a lot of the clinical and they're like getting burnt out or just wanting to do something different or even people that are in their master's program and getting close to graduating and they take like that one elective where they just touch on OBM and then they say, oh my gosh, there's this whole other thing I could have done or this other path. Um, it's really, I think, important to always remember that like you are learning behavior analysis and it's just a different application in a different environment. So there's different goals, different different determinations of what socially significant behavior change would be. So you've still got those same base things. So I wouldn't typically say that anyone needs to go get additional formal education. You've got that. But really think about the, the mentorship, the supervision, the scope of practice if you're trying to make that transition. And start with something close. So if you're working in a clinical environment, can you help with something on the business side of the organization when it comes to changing 
behavior analyst behavior or something within the business. Um, so a company you already are familiar with and you understand sort of the, the important drivers within the business and where there's some pain points and help in that way. Again, using those same concepts and principles, the same understanding of human behavior. And in that vein, when you do go to do that, please look at JOBM, the Journal of Organizational Behavior Management, and think about some of the common interventions that are used in that manner. I'm seeing that lots of people are sort of trying that, and I totally encourage it's all behavior analysis, different environment, right? That's how we learn and how we can apply it. But getting that additional support, because I've heard and seen examples where um, some intervention is done with clinical staff at a clinical ABA company, but they're almost using interventions that they would use with, with children or people with developmental disabilities and not really thinking through the behavior. So just uh, for a brief example, I was at a conference and heard a presentation and they were trying to improve having uh, the staff turn in their case notes at the end of the week, right? So everybody understands that. And when those environments, when they're billing insurance, they need to have certain documentation in order to submit it. Um, well, what they did is they, they did a preference assessment and had the employees rate things they would like to earn for doing, getting the, the paperwork in on time. And they set it up like a changing criterion. So you would get like, once they got to 70%, they'd get the first thing. And then 80%, they'd get this other thing. And they did this group intervention. Well, they were completely blown away when they went live with this intervention that we really need you to do this. And then you'll earn X that they shot up to 90%. Okay. <laughs> so they earned like these sort of three rewards along the way instead of needing the change. So for those that may not be following this, right? So like, it's a did or didn't do, like I either got the behavior or the uh, paperwork in or didn't. So you don't really need a changing criteria, right? Like they did or didn't. It would be, yeah, changing criteria would make sense if you had like a, a quality rating on that paperwork, like a completeness type of thing that they were sort of working toward. The other challenge I had with this is then you've got this place where you're at 90%. Still not 100% of people doing this. So does it really make sense to be continuing on a group contingency as opposed to looking at individuals? Because even before you did this intervention, you had a certain number of people that were getting paperwork in on time and didn't need this thing at all. So really applying that broad brush intervention to an entire organization when you might have just had a couple of performers or a department or a group that needed an intervention. So... I'll get off that soapbox, but just to say, like, look at the JOBM literature, talk to folks about that, really think through not just using the same kind of interventions you might use with other opportunities, but really, is this a group worthy intervention? Is it an individual? Um, even some of the rewards, I mean, maybe it's, it is rewarding and they did have people rate what they wanted, but their, the top reward was a pajama day at the office, which I don't know, if someone like me, that's not a thing. <laughs> like I wouldn't work for that. So really also thinking about like what's the right types of rewards and, and encouragers for your folks. Um, yeah, so I'll get off that soapbox and see what others have to say. <laughs> that's such a great example, Kelly, because I, I think that's what came to mind for me as well in terms of understanding that some of your experiences, your perspectives, your approaches will carry forward into the new environment, and some will need to be left behind. 
And, um, you know, we, we earlier we talked a bit about even just technical language, right? That might have limited use in a new setting. You're, you might still be, um, and you should still be using the core science as a foundation and applying that knowledge, but the way that you talk about it uh, might change. And so also things like um, preferences can change uh, different individuals, different settings. So that's such a, a good example. I would add and say that if you are looking to make that transition from a clinical or an academic setting to consulting, in addition to getting connected with individuals and really just kind of seeing where you can boost your own knowledge, I would also try to get as pinpointed as possible on what type of consulting you'd like to do and what you hope to accomplish by pursuing it. Um, if as you're making the transition, I'd also recommend, you know, just reflecting early and often as to how the transition is going, how the new change in environment is going. If you're accomplishing what you set out to do professionally, if, if you're enjoying what you do, if, you, you know, there, all the, those types of questions, especially in the early phases, are really helpful for understanding how it's going. And then as you get further into um, that consulting work and understanding, okay, this is where the growth's occurred. And then this is still where I want to, what areas I want to work on. Um, I know that's been a key part, just even being here at Alula, where and I've got Kelly here, but the talent development piece has been so huge to help um, me really identify, you know, what are my own professional goals? What are the skills that I really want to hone in on and shape or develop? And then being able to take those steps to kind of work on and get those supports in different areas and then be able to reflect back and, and see what I've accomplished as well. So I'm going to jump in here and say um, Kelly and Shanae are being super help humble uh, with their statements. Um, they both uh, have BCBAs. They're some of the few people who I know are actively working in an OBM setting who've also maintained their credential. Um, Shanae's spent I think over seven years in clinical settings as a BCBA managing a caseload in center and out of center and consulting and doing virtual stuff. So like what I'm saying is they've they've they they've done the BCBA thing. I know Shanae's worked with a caseload as a BCBA and has successfully transitioned into OBM consulting. And even when Shanae was doing the BCBA thing at a clinical setting, I just like saying BCBA thing. I think it's fun. Um, so allow me my my discretions. So she was doing the BCBA thing in a clinical setting and she was doing OBM implementation. So where Kelly provided the example um, of, of the preference assessment to, and the changing criterion design and a lot of extra complication to get people to submit time, their uh, the forms completed in time for, for documentation at the end of the week, Shanae helped craft an intervention around submitting paperwork, which included daily feedback. And then she used, well, she and I collaborated on it. We used um, a, uh, a, a selection-based solution. So if there is something where they could just check a box, um, we just need to make sure they check the right box, but a reduced variability in responding. So we kind of use some of the principles we learned around checklists and stuff from the OBM coursework, the OBM research. So we were, we were strict respondent to a few different options. So it's, so the likelihood of in, making a mistake goes down and that mistake is um is has less variable it's less variable so it's easier to coach and provide feedback to and to track um so we simplified a process we saved the company around 70 grand a year annually in just time spent filling out spreadsheets that there are paper forms that they're then able to redeploy elsewhere but I'm, i guess what i'm saying is 
she's done in the clinical setting too, but the, there's an example of, of using some of the OBM research in a clinical setting. Um, I will echo Sinead's thoughts around, really depends where you wanna consult. Consulting is a very broad category. And to Kelly's point, Jobum's a great resource. Um, uh, my theme here and my like the main takeaway, if you take one thing away from me today, it's find a really good mentor. Um, and so that's another part is you need to find a good mentor who has a similar uh, career experience as yours. Uh, so they've worked, walked a mile in your shoes. So they made the transition or they have enough experience doing OBM in the way you want to do OBM or in the area that you want to do OBM to help set you up for success. So like they have a proven track record of experience they can speak to. So when you're interviewing a mentor to be a possible mentor, um, make sure that they're, they, they're not just talking about the buzzwords that Allula or ADI use. We, um, ADI has the picnic to, to assess, reinforce your strength. Um, Allula has ETIP, both great tools, but if you're thinking from a verbal behavior perspective, we're looking at the speaker's effect on the listener. So part of it is marketing and showing that this is our unique IP, which helps us show up well to the client, that this is what we're adding value. It makes it easy. It shows that there's something tangible with what we do. But on the other end, we're trying to simplify a concept to have that desired response, the desired impact on the listener. And if you hear someone in OBM or someone who says they're like, they do a lot of OBM work, but all they do is talk in acronyms and they, they use them like, like, like nuggets of knowledge. At the end of the day, we're, we're, we're practicing the science. Um, so the, the, the language, the terminology, the acronyms that Lulu uses or ADI uses, they're, there's utility to them, but that's not what you should be looking for. You should be looking for what industries have they worked in? What projects have they worked on? How have they contributed to adding value? How can they actually articulate the value um, for a project? Like, can they say what the ROI was? Can they say off the top of their head, they saved the company X amount of money or helped the company make Y amount of money? Because that's a skill you'll need to learn when you go into an OBM setting. You need to talk about that, that value area. And even Alula's doubling down and getting a lot better at that internally at just showing how we provide value and reflect that impact. Um, so I tend to get on a bit of a rant when it comes to good mentorship because I've been very fortunate, I dare I say very privileged um, to with those who have mentored me and the people I just work with day in and day out and I learn from, regardless of the years they have in the field, I learn from I know Vince Techni is a newer grad, but I also learn from Vince all the time too. He has a lot of value he adds into my life. And so um, I just be careful who you listen to um, and really try to take time to, to spend extra time up front, making sure that person's the right fit for you and your specific situation if you're looking for that mentorship. Um, and that helps you when you're crafting an OBM intervention not to do a changing criteria design um, with staff if that's not necessarily needed. It's still, they got a good result. So I'm not like the results are effective. They just probably have worked a lot harder than they needed to. Um, in terms of, I know the academic environment to consulting, if you wanted to look at people who've made the transition, probably not the people in this group. Um, I'm a PhD dropout student, so I don't have a doctorate degree. Um, I would think of people like at UF, there's Nicole Gravina. Um, so she did the consulting and then went into academics and then um, John Austin, who's done a lot of research like on the performance diagnostic checklist, 
last I checked, he was in Kalamazoo, Michigan. He was an academic who then went into consulting. There, there are people like Josh Pritchard who have done both and they've gone back and forth a few times. So if, if you're currently an academic, um, look for those who have successfully made that transition. I just can't speak to it myself. I will go off mute and like to echo the idea around mentorship because we could probably do a whole podcast on that, but um, yeah, I've been, I, I need to call out that like mentorship is, is huge. Um, like the people who you meet along your road, you can kind of very literally like steal things from um, to make you better at what, like help you on your journey is literally the name of the game. Um, my first like experience with behavior analysis was because a doc student asked if I wanted to participate. And then for like two years, I just soaked in everything I could from those doc students and from the doctor I was working with. It's like, I look at the things I do today and they're all things that people in my research lab at West Virginia did. People who, people at Florida Tech, both members of my cohort and, my, and the faculty, things that they did. And now at Alula, just like so many mentors that I can take things from because they've, they all have unique experiences um, and have unique styles. And that's one thing that I really appreciate about Alula is, you know, if there's anything to take away from our mighty panel for here is that really pretty different backgrounds. I would say we all have different styles. Obviously we have different areas of, of expertise, but we're all part of Alula. We're all, we all at the end of the day are here to help clients meet their business goals. Um, and I say all this because it's like mentorship, um, I think is, is the bridge, especially it was for me between being in grad school and then being here at Alula. I couldn't have done it without people like Brandon and Shanae Kelly and Brandon were like two of the people who kind of linked me to Alula. They took the time out of their day to get me the opportunity. You know, I get to Alula and it's like, I don't know how to facilitate or schedule, do any of this. Well, Shanae's literally a wizard at all of those things. So it's like, what can I steal from, take from Shanae? And so to me, that's how I've, that's how I've gone about things. And, you know, you always think about it. Like one day, if I ever have to make a big speech, let's imagine a world where something goes really, really right. And I have to thank people. It's going to be like a list of a hundred people because they all, they're all the, you know, the reason you, you're, you're able to move forward. So shout out to those hundred people, which I will not list. That was all really nice. Um, would do, I know I didn't list this question on here, but since y'all have emphasized mentorship so much, could someone, I guess, present a, like a task analysis on how to get a mentor <laughs> really quickly. <laughs> so I can say what I do when I'm looking for a mentor. Um, it could be, I've, I've picked bad mentors before too. None of them are at Alula. <laughs> I have picked bad mentors before. So um, it's, it's not evidence-based, it's not a TA. It's like my personal experience. So take it with a grain of salt. Um, to Vince's point, I don't think there's one way to do it. So I would just say, um, this is again, my perspective and it's part of it is 
they should when when you're when you're when you're, when I'm first interacting with someone, I look to see if how they treat other people. How do they treat the person with the least influence in the room? Um, do they try to highlight their experience by putting someone else down, or do they go out of their way and say hi and find good things to encourage and provide positive feedback for? Because my guess is a lot of our interactions will become constructive conversations if they don't treat the people with the least influence in the room well. Um, I also look to see that they have a hunger to learn and a deeper knowledge of an area than I do. They should be able within a short period of time to provide insight into my own repertoire in a way that it blows my mind. Like, I never thought of things that way, or you're totally right. It should totally resonate with me. Um, they also should be consistent. And when I start digging into their experience, uh, it shouldn't sound like they're making things up on the spot or stretching the truth. They should be able to speak pretty specifically to their experience. Um, and then our personal values should align to some extent. And my, like they're, you have, you need different mentor, in my opinion, you need different, well, this is all my opinion, but the point, I also see it that you need different mentors for different times in your life. And it could be the same person entering and exiting multiple times. So whether it's like general career advice, mentorship, like this is where I want to go. Oh, I, actually, I didn't like that. Maybe I need to pivot. Who else has pivoted and been successful? Or it could be um, specific advice about an industry. Um, like doing freelance OBM work on my own is very different than doing OBM work when I'm on a team and we're doing global enterprise level deployments. Everything we have to do has to be super simple and scale well, and we have to be able to communicate it across a variety of cultures. Um, it can't be something that's super customized and tailored that works for like six people in a room. So like I, so my mentor had to help take what I had in terms of my OEM skill set and help me figure out a way to leverage and scale what I could do. Um, so to Vince's point, there's not a task analysis that exists probably on, on finding mentor, mentorship. I'm guessing if you Google finding mentorship, there'll be some other pointers I totally missed. Yeah, the, that's my my thoughts. I might just add to, um, you know, Brandon made the point too, that there'd be different people sort of at different times in your career and over the course of your life. So I would also recommend sort of thinking about just your networking in general and beyond even behavior analysis, right? Like just in working with different people that have been successful in different perspectives and, and have different experiences can just lend a lot to what potential might be out there, help you to think differently or just, um, you know, consider possibilities that maybe you didn't have. So I would, I would highly encourage that uh, sometimes going back to that sort of during the academic years, you know, as you're in your program, you're very much very specific on your terminology and you've kind of got that down and it's almost we wear it as that badge of honor that we can speak to each other so fluently and we're the smartest people in the room. But <laughs> that whole idea of talking to other people and being able to share what we do and why it matters um, is, a, is a huge skill too. So meeting other people in other disciplines that can help see where that might work or help you make those connections. Well, I just know I can solve any problem that you can throw at me. Well, they might be able to help you say, well, in this industry, this might be a place that um, could use some some help. So 
And something that I know, like going back to like when I first met Vince and, and even you, Victoria, like ask, like ask questions, ask for people's time. Um, when you're doing that networking, people are pretty giving of it. Um, and something that I, I often see people do, especially when they're students and kind of getting used to asking for people's time, feeling like you're a burden or like overthinking it, right? I don't know how many times people give me an out, like, well, if you have time or you don't have to, I know I don't have to, I'll say no if I don't have the time, but I would certainly encourage people just to, to ask and, you know, look for the time, come with a question. You know, you'll, you'll find that people are very giving and, and willing to, to talk. So encourage people to branch out and talk to other people in different industries, different areas, take advantage of the networking and then ask for, ask for time. Uh, that was a really, a few great points, Kelly. I, I was just going to say in terms of like mentors I've had outside the field, so for instance, I wanted to become a better leader. Um, so when I am in positions of leadership, I, I perform better in that space. One of my mentors was a retired general. Another one was a retired lieutenant colonel. And I learned a lot of key leadership principles from them. Like I think the biggest thing I, like my biggest takeaway from the general was um, don't pay attention to the org hierarchy too much. Sorry for the dog, working from home y'all. Um, but uh, it's, learning about the, we, we talked about managing the white spaces in OBM from a process standpoint, but he talked about the influencing skills for the relationships between the white spaces and the org chart and how valuable it is to understand people and what they care about. And another few mentors of mine were very successful businessmen and entrepreneurs. And I learned a lot about um, sales and customer service and product development from folks who had sold multi-million dollar companies um, and have been very successful at it. And yes, again, like positions of privilege that I, I made these relationships early on to help shape my development. Again, sorry for that dog. I don't, th I think the dog's done. But um, I was gonna say that when it comes to mentorship, look for wherever, I guess, use a weak point in your own personal skill set and try to bolster that if it's going to help you get to that next level and they're always no, no, none of them were very selfish when it came to time they're always very generous of their time to kelly's point they were happy to chat with me and honestly i could have done a better job at continuing to chat with them so yeah thank you so when i've looked for mentors my my criteria my path has been um very similar with what brandon and kelly have shared although vince i agree i don't think any any one path that to find anyone mentor has been um, identical but uh generally you know the one thing i would add to well two things i would add uh, one being you know i think usually the individuals that um i've i've had some of the most impactful mentorship experiences with are individuals that I have a high level of trust with, individuals that I'm comfortable being vulnerable with, that I'm comfortable with them just being very direct, very open, very honest with their observations. And also I can share, you know, kind of my, where I'm at and what I'm hoping for and my strengths and my weaknesses and just being able to, to have that, um, uh, kind of that trust established with them. And then the second thing I would add is um, those that have a similar level of interest and investment in you as well as an individual, uh, kind of a similar level of commitment. Um, a successful mentorship, as I've learned, typically takes two people to be committed to it. And so 
um, those that, you know, don't just give you the time, but also are putting the thought and the care into it. And, and to Kelly's point earlier, kind of making those connections um, to help you uh, to help you progress and grow. So um, those are the other things I would add. Thank you all for your suggestions or for your direction, I guess. Um, the next official question on here, I don't know if y'all have an answer for this, but it's on here, so I'll ask it. Um, it. It may have already been addressed. I mean, what experience do you need to prioritize to make yourself competitive in OBM? I'm gonna kick off with a potentially non-helpful experience that you need to prioritize. And I would just say anything that you feel like you don't know how to do or anything that makes you feel a little bit uncomfortable. And the reason I say that is because that's how you get better at things um, and, and that's how you learn. So, you know, there was a time when I was scared to send an email to Kelly Therian because it made me uncomfortable. Um, and then you learn like, oh, I can reach out to Kelly and Kelly's amazing, like actually is spending the time to kind of get to know me. And then all of a sudden, all of a sudden that becomes really comfortable, right? And you, and you look back and you're like, when, you know, how was I ever scared to do that? But those are all of the experiences that I would seek out, right? I don't know how a business makes money. Okay, so I need to send an email to someone who does finance and, and learn about that. I don't know what, like all of the things that you don't know how to do but you probably want to do, that's what I would recommend prioritizing. Um, now that's like really vague and not direct, but assuming you you have like a like we go back to a mentor, and you know that's probably where I would start. Say, hey, I really want to learn how to do this. Um, what's like step one based on your experience? And maybe that's like an email. Maybe that's a prompt to email somebody who you may have never talked to, who does some of the things you wanna learn how to do, but yeah, prioritize the things you don't know how to do or the things you're scared to do or the things that make you uncomfortable because then they don't, they're not uncomfortable anymore once you learn how to do them. I love that idea too, just when it's uncomfortable, that's probably the place that you need to force yourself a little bit more. And, and when you think about consulting, I think a big part of that comes in like, platform and presentation skills. Like, I don't think anybody wakes up just loving having to get up in front of a room and talk, but it's such an important skill. And the more you do it, the easier that it gets. So practice and, and do those things and push through the discomfort because those are the things that earn you the, the opportunity to talk to more people after you have that uninterrupted time to share a perspective. And guess what? People are going to come ask you more follow-up questions and engage with you after that. So it's, you got to, you know, go through the discomfort to get more of the, the reward and encouragement after the fact. Um, so I would certainly recommend that. And I think along those lines, in terms of prioritizing, prioritize taking the work that you've done during your academic program and, and figuring out how to put it into like a project portfolio to be able to speak to what you did and why. And in the, you know, accurate beaver analysis terms, but then also in the layman terms, how would you describe that to a business professional about why they should care about this or, or what you did and how you can contribute in their organization? 
So those are kind of two things I would recommend and, and echo that discomfort, live in the discomfort. Both great, great suggestions. Um, I will emphasize to uh, just, you know, if where there are opportunities to do an applied project in a business or even some form of consulting, take advantage of those, even if it's a program within your university. Um, and I guess this probably goes without saying, but a core understanding of the science will definitely help you uh, be competitive in OBM. Uh, and having that fluency and being able to kind of translate it to layman's terms, as my colleagues have mentioned. I think the third thing I would add is the relationship management piece, just going back to that. It's it's not just about talking to people consistently or networking, but really being thoughtful about each relationship and intentional, um, forming genuine relationships that, you know, both internally and externally um, for as it relates to the field making the time to really listen intently, um, sharing perspectives, not being afraid to listen to conflicting perspectives and seeking those out and, and really focusing on establishing trust in those relationships too. Those are all things that, you know, the core of relationship management are really key, I think, in, in building those relationships, not with the client or not just with the client, but also, you know, just even with your internal team too, and being able to uh, just brought in your own experiences and skills as you proceed. So much good wisdom. Um, I would add, um, and I think whether it goes into OBM or elsewhere, just focusing on learning to be a good leader. Assume you're not a great leader and learning how to be one. So that's, Alula has our five leadership behaviors we lean on for that, setting clear expectations, taking time to observe, removing barriers, providing feedback, coaching. Um, but learning to listen is huge and just like learning to be a really good leader, whether or not you're in an influencer position or not. If you are going to consulting and you're moderately successful, you'll end up leading projects and you'll need that leadership experience um, because unfortunately you'll be working. Well, I shouldn't say unfortunately, could be fortunate, could be unfortunate, but you'll be working with a lot of leaders. Some are great, some not so much. And learning how to navigate that is tough. And that kind of goes to Sinead's point about relationship management and to Vincent Kelly's points about um, uncomfortable situations. Uh, how do you respond to someone who says, this is a waste of time, I'm two years from retirement, you're not gonna teach an old dog new tricks. Like those are like real world, that's a real world example of a conversation I had with a leader and learning to navigate that. Which ties back to leadership about setting clear expectations. So he is, as a coach, part of it is setting clear expectations at the beginning, like what's the purpose of work I'm doing with this person. So yeah, lean into the uncomfortable moments. Um, one quick aside uh, around that, this might be cut out, it might not uh, be cut out of the podcast. But uh, when I was in grad school, I was uh, going into stores and pitching my OBM consulting services. I went to have rooms to go, which is a furniture, in, furniture store in the US and in the local bar. I just walked in like, I can solve all your problems. I have OBM. I didn't get work that way, but that was uncomfortable. I learned a lot. Um, I learned that it wasn't as scary as I thought it would be. Yeah. yeah, lean into the discomfort. Thanks, guys. I love that too, Brandon, that you shared that going into like local organizations, going back to that um, soapbox of my undergrad program with the, the PM, the performance management track that John Bailey had. 
they no longer do that at Florida State, and I'm not sure what other programs do, but I, for any professors out there, like if you can do that in the undergrad space and, and allow that opportunity to learn more about potential applications, um, in undergrad, the expectation was to go find a manager and the first task was to interview them about just how's life as a manager, what are your pain points, what keeps you up at night. So the first was just to meet them and show interest. And then after that, it was to go back and say, okay, well, here was your pain point. This is something that I could help you with as this student. It's a free project. So the only cost to you is the time and energy spent talking with me and putting some intervention into place. But it was the most uncomfortable thing to go through as this student going in and begging for free work. Like I can do something great, I swear, I think, and I hope. And like, just give me this access and time. It was such a cool experience. And that definitely carried forward into my master's program then, same thing, to do my thesis and do my research, I had went and knocked on doors and found a business that was willing to let me come in and try something. And it was unpaid, but it, it was my thesis and I, I got that published. So that's all good, right? It all pays off. And then being able to speak about that, even though it wasn't paid, how I worked with the business owner, how I worked with the manager, how we implemented things, the results that were achieved by just simple interventions, um, all those experiences, I would highly encourage. The academic learning is fantastic. The hands-on application is so critical. And, and that's where like building a portfolio where you can speak to what you did and what happened, what the results were. Um, can't speak to that enough. But that's such an important thing to be able to do. Thank you all again for the advice and for your perspectives too. You're, you're all a wealth of knowledge. Thank you. Um, so that was it for all of my formal questions. I just wanted to finish by saying thank you. And is there anything else you want to share with the listeners? I was going to do an inspiring, you can do this, that OBM <laughs> is great that you have the skills we talked about a lot of like learning as you go which is but that's the part like that's a part of any job so you're ready to do it and uh yeah you're you have all of the skills that you need to go on and and do well in obm it's just like any other job um in that like you learn as you go you find people who can support you uh you learn like your style and you kind of like try to add to your skill set over time, so. Well, for those that are uh, coming to the OBM Network uh, conference meeting, so that will be in September um, in Florida. So we'll have a number of our Alula colleagues in attendance. So you may have seen that Christina Riley is one of the managing directors at Alula, and she will be uh, an invited presenter talking about a global uh, rollout and transformation for an organization. So she'll walk through that. And then uh, myself, uh, Shanae Jamison, Brandon Martinez Onslaught, and a couple of other colleagues are also going to be in attendance. So please do uh, feel free to come up and say hello, do that uncomfortable introduction and ask some follow-up questions and, and all of that good stuff. And Look forward to uh, to hearing people's reactions and what else we can share that would be helpful for folks. But thank you again, Victoria and ABA Technologies for giving us the time to share our thoughts and give us the spotlight for a moment. Um, I'm sure you could 
just here we've had some varied experiences, but just really proud of the work that we do with Alula and the opportunities that we've had and always happy to share whatever we can, best practices for others or just recommendations um, to help others to be successful on, on a similar path and getting into organizational behavior management. I wanted to say thank you all as well for being a part of this and for taking the time out of your days to disseminate what you do and just to spend time educating people. I absolutely would like to second Kelly's recommendation. Please check out OBM Network and FABA, also a great conference. It's a great way to meet people. These wonderful people will be there and Thank you. And that was our final episode of Real World OBM Consulting with Alula.